Let us pray. Let your merciful ears, O Lord, be open to the prayers of your humble servants, and that we may receive what we ask. Teach us by your Holy Spirit to ask only those things that are pleasing to you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the same Spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. I'm reading from Exodus 34. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him. And Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. The word of the Lord. A reading from Second Corinthians. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And after six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up high on the mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, we will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Arise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise 
want to take a moment to pray for um, kids who are participating in our children's ministry. So it's uh, preschool, early elementary age kids. Um, as Andrea told me this morning, if you just feel like getting the wiggles out, you're welcome to join them, but you have to be helpful uh, to, to Andrea. So um, uh, so I will pray, and then you can uh, follow Miss Andrea out um, this way, and you know, we'll meet in front, but let's uh, pray. Father, uh, we're so thankful. We're thankful for all the members of this congregation. We're thankful for you making us um, a body. Uh, but we're so thankful to have children among us, Lord. We celebrate um, their presence with us. We love them. We pray, Lord, that you would continue um, to be at work in each one of their lives, growing them in the knowledge of you, that they may know how precious they are and how good it is to, to live for you. Lead Andrea and Eric and all those who um, are teaching and leading them um, this morning, and uh, we uh, lift them uh, before you and pray your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so kids, you can make your way out. Um, I'm very thankful uh, this morning uh, to have uh, Father Chris Peterson um, uh, preach uh, with us. Um, some of you that were here in the early days of Church of the Cross uh, uh, may remember Chris. He served here for a couple of years, was ordained here, um, and uh, he has recently moved back as serving as a hospice chaplain um, here in the, the cities, and i um, just very thankful he can teach us this morning. So Chris, thanks for being here. Welcome. One of my favorite memories of Church of the Cross from when I was here was the Sunday that um, Christian was up here preaching, and he was involved and engaged in preaching like Christian does, right? And I noticed a wasp of just gargantuan size just flying back and forth, and I wondered, how long is it going to be before he starts? And I would see him kind of glancing around, and, but he just plowed on. He was preaching it, you know, and finally that thing came down and it got right here and, you know, he preaches with his Bible, he took his Bible and he went like that and he smacked that bugger and it just went flying. So we're Bible thumpers here at Church of the Cross, right? Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is a, a special Sunday for me. As Christian said, this was the church where I was ordained. Um, I came here, uh, actually, it is almost exactly 15 years ago. It was 15 years ago this summer. And um, Ironically, I, when I sat down and I looked at the passage for this morning and I saw that it was a reference in 2 Corinthians, um, it ends in a reference to the transfiguration, I had to laugh because the first Sunday I preached here was Transfiguration Sunday. And so God has this way of bringing us full circle, doesn't he? Which is good because um, I think where God meets us is where we want to always be. And so if he's bringing us back to that place, we're in a good place. So as Christian said, I was here um, two and a half years. And I just would like to share a moment because with you about what this church has meant to me and to my family. Um, in the Psalms, often the psalmist will say, If you will do this, O God, I will recount your praises in the assembly of the righteous. Or, you know... 
our assembly, which is kind of, we're kind of righteous, kind of not. That's why we're here, right? Fifteen years ago, we arrived, um, my wife and our infant son, and this church took us into their hearts. They let us minister, they were involved with us, they cared for us, they were our friends, they were our family. Um, This church loved us. And after about two and a half, about two years, the time came for us to go. We were called to plant a church in northern Kentucky, just across the river from downtown Cincinnati. And um, we, Miriam and I, Miriam is my wife, we went down to, uh, to, to the Kentucky area to look over the weekend church planting possibilities, explore the neighborhood. Um, there was this wonderful deal where with the church down there, he said, it was in Lexington, and he said, I'll tell you what, Chris, you come and serve with us for a year. I have someone who will raise funds to pay your salary, and then you can build a network and after a year go up to Covington, up to Cincinnati area, and plant the church. So I thought, you know, that, that sounds like a workable, a workable option. We got down there, and he said, well, we're so glad you're here. I want you to know the money fell through. And so there will be no money, so you might as well like skip the whole year and just go straight to Covington. Two things I have dreaded all my life. Two things. One is a parachute plant, which means you just go into a city and make a church. And the second, the second is raising funds like a missionary. And so God, all of a sudden, has us in this place where those two great phobias or fears, boop, right there. And uh, my inclination was to say, no way. And all weekend long we were there, and it felt right. It felt so right. So uh, we came back, and we were supposed to pray about it for a week and then contact this priest in Lexington. And I remember one night I was putting my infant son to bed. I was rocking him. This is when we had one child, so you could just spend 45 minutes rocking your son to bed, right? You have the second one, you're like, okay, good night. Then you go get good night, and then you go collapse because you're exhausted. I'm rocking my son to sleep, and it's dark in the room. And I started praying, and I said, God, if you really want this, we'll do this. But I have absolutely nothing to bring to this deal. This is going to have to be like the Exodus, God. This is my prayer. If we're going to do this, you are going to have to part the Red Sea, because all I can do is walk between the waves. That is all I can bring to this deal. When we get on the other side, you are going to have to drop the manna because I have no way to provide for this thing. And when we arrive in the promised land, you are going to have to bring down the walls of Jericho because all we can do is walk in and possess the land. I have literally nothing to contribute to this deal. So we started fundraising. This was in the summer of 2008. Does anyone here remember what happened in the summer and the fall of 2008? Right, that was when the worst economic recession since the Great Depression hit America. Jobs were wiped out. Money evaporated. Father Christian generously did something that clergy rarely do. He gave me permission to just freely fundraise in this church. That is such a gift. 
And so we wrote letters, we made some visits, and in three months, three months in the middle of the Great Recession, all the funds were there for us to go. Like, that's miraculous. And most of those funds came from this congregation. This congregation is not that big. If you will just part the seas, we will go. If you will drop manna, we'll pick it up and eat and keep walking. If you will bring down Jericho, we will go in and possess the land. And God did those things. And in large part, my friends, he did that through this church. He did. Miriam and I were very cognizant of that. Dependence upon God through his people. One of our first members came. I came back for a a weekend and I was preaching and I, I talked about what we were doing. Someone in this congregation said, oh, I have a cousin in Cincinnati. They called them, and before I got home that afternoon, I had a phone call from a new member of the church. I mean, it's, it's actually a very humbling thing. And now, after 12 years, I've come back, and you've done it again, and again, and now again. You're planting churches. So, I know for Church of the Cross, it's just kind of what you do. Right? Like, yeah, we're Church of the Cross. We plant churches. Right? I want you to know, my church, the church I planted, not my church, it was God's church, um, St. Barnabas. Um, it was very small, never got very big, tiny little church. And, um, and yet through the years, I want you to know, there were dozens of baptisms. There were converts. There were people who had been raised in the faith who weren't sure what to think of this Jesus now. And is this really legitimate? And is this the best thing for my life? And those people came back to faith. There were marriages that were forged in that church. There were people whose marriages suddenly ended who were cared for in that church. There were people who were on their way to prison who met grace in that church. There were people who were abandoned by their church who found a place of refuge and home and love in that church. And I'm not saying that to say, look what I did. Because all I did was walk through the waters. God parted the Red Sea He dropped the manna. He brought down walls through you. And so now you are on your, what if if I can claim to be your first church plant. I would like that honor. If I can claim that, I I, I want you to know, see, we've got church, or St. Barnabas, Church of the Redeemer, Church of, you've got all these R's. Church, Restoration, Church of the Resurrection. You're on your fourth? Resurrection Anglican. Oh, I don't know. Four babies this church has birthed. And I want you to know that it's not just, you're not just like sending off congregations and doing this thing. Like, God works through this because of what you're doing. 
someone before we pray before for all the members or the participants of the service and they're each blessed before right back over here on the side they've been doing that since i was here and it's beautiful and um one of the people who's serving you today prayed oh god may we see your face today may the people who come see your face And I, I, I just, I want you to understand and let it sink down into your hearts that what you do helps people to see the face of God, which brings us to the transfiguration, right? It brings us to the moment where Jesus goes up on the mountain and everything that happened in Moses' life is encapsulated rounded up and Jesus brings it up in the mountain trans, mount of transfiguration and he makes it new and whole and the cloud descends upon him and the glory of God radiates from his incarnate face and the glory of God is seen in the face of Christ oh God may we see your face so it is kind of a weird passage though isn't it I mean, Jesus glows. It's kind of, is, am I the only one that thinks that's weird? It goes back to Moses, this passage in Exodus. And in this passage, it comes, and everything's about context in Exodus. In this passage, God has just led the people through their Exodus. They've come through the Red Sea. And then... They had had a covenant formed on Mount Sinai. The law has been given to them. A covenant is like a marriage between God and Israel. It is this beautiful moment. And then just as Moses is getting ready to come down and pronounce this, and here comes God to live in the midst of the people, the people decide to worship a golden calf. It is one of the worst moments in all of Scripture. Right? It's... I've, I, I, used, I don't know if Christian liked that I used this metaphor when I taught on this when I was here. It's kind of like a, a couple that gets married, and then on their honeymoon, one of them goes out to the ice container in the hotel and comes back, and the partner is committing adultery, or the new spouse is committing adultery. That's what this is like. They have already, at the wedding ceremony, and they're worshiping a golden calf. It's a spiritual adultery idolatry and um, obviously it causes problems the deal is off God tells Moses if I come near them I will I'll consume them so I'll send you to the promised land we'll get you there but I'm gonna stay arm's length because um, the, the line has been crossed and Moses prays for them and intercedes and God decides to forgive them God forgives them. And so Moses, he knows it's a big deal. This is a big moment. He says, Can, I want a pledge. Can you give me a pledge? If you'll show me your glory, God, as a pledge that you're really going to forgive them and go with us to the promised land, then I'll go back to them. So God does it. And that's where our passage starts today. Moses comes down in the mountain and he is reflecting that glory. He's reflecting it, and he doesn't know it. And he comes down the mountain, and the people see day glow Moses, and they're wigged out. Which I would be too. 
And Moses says, not so many words, friends, this is the pledge, the proof in the pudding that God is with you and forgives you. And so every time Moses goes into the tent of meetings, he takes this mask off, this veil off. He talks with God. Then he goes out and he shares with the people what God has said while his face radiates glory that says, I'm still here with you. I forgive you. I am the one who forgives. I forgive. That's what the glory of God says. I'm the one who keeps coming back. I am the one who keeps forgiving. Have you thought about how much glory appears in the Old Testament and the New Testament? At the end of Exodus, the glory and the cloud fills the tabernacle. When David and Solomon, or when Solomon makes the temple and they dedicate the temple, the glory and the cloud fills the temple. I love the story because the the glory and the cloud just fills the temple and so much the priests can't see to do what they need to do. So the clergy are like, I guess God's taking over, so I'm going to sit down. It's the end of the liturgy, folks. God's got something bigger. And I love liturgy, right? I mean, so... The glory comes to assure the people, I'm still with you, and I'm the one who forgives. Peter knows this, the Apostle Peter. In our passage on the Transfiguration, where Jesus sums up this experience with Moses and comes to show the glory, again, it's all about context. Just before this passage, Peter and and Jesus are having a conversation. And Jesus says to the apostles, all of them, who do you say I am? And Peter gets the right answer. And so Jesus lavishes praise on him. And then he goes on to explain, I'm going to die on the cross. And Peter says, no, 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 no. You can't do that, God. Excuse me, you can't do that, Jesus. That's what he says. And Jesus says, Satan, get behind me. Now, that's a bad moment. Right When incarnate God says, Satan, get behind me, that's a very bad moment. And Peter's living on this. Are you this way? I'm this way. If I have something like that that's a really public, embarrassing moment where I've really screwed it up, I, I feel the embarrassment that everybody saw that. And I hold on to it for a week, two weeks. Seven days go by for Peter to chew on this embarrassing moment. All the other apostles were right there. They saw it. And then Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain and the cloud descends and the glory of God radiates from Jesus' face and says to Peter, along with all of us, I'm the one who still comes to you. I'm the one who always forgives. And here's the pledge, Peter. Here it is. In 2 Peter, this is at the very end of Peter's life. He says he knows he's about to die soon. And he says, so I keep telling you these things because they're important. He goes, we didn't make this up. We heard the voice on the mountain. 
We heard the holy voice in the mountain saying, listen to my son, in him I'm well pleased. And then Peter goes on to say, he goes on to say, we should listen to that son and gaze upon him. Like sit and look at him like you'd look at a lamp. Now, not a lamp like these lamps, like an oil lamp, right? Think about a dark room with a little oil lamp with a little flicker of light. And think about how flame mesmerizes. And how in a dark room with no electricity, that one light seems intense. So let yourself gaze upon the intensity and the mesmerizing face of this Jesus because Peter knows what it speaks to us. He says, gaze upon it until the morning star dawns in your heart. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you love that God gave us his word and didn't just do it in a very prosaic manner, but he did it poetically. That the morning star will dawn in your hearts. Peter knew what the glory of God meant. I think Paul knew as well, St. Paul. I think he knew too. You know, when he was knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus, it says he was surrounded by flashes of light and Jesus appeared to him. Romans 8, Paul talks about how we have the hope of the glory of God. You ever thought about that phrase? God's glory is your hope. Because the glory that shows up throughout the whole span of Scripture, that glory is the word to you, to me, to the world, that God is the God who always comes back to us. He is always coming to us. And He is always the one who wants to forgive. I, um, I try not to tell too many hospice stories because death stories tend to put people in a kind of a sad frame of mind. But I'm going to share one with you. I had a patient who was, um, he was a very old man, a World War II veteran, and he was at his end, very last hours, and he had a lot of agitation. He was moving around and and stirring, but he was, he was not conscious. And the family came, called me and asked me to, to go with him. And I said, is there anything, do you think, that could be something spiritual that could be way down bothering him on a subconscious level? And they said, you know, he never talked much about the war. But towards the end, he did tell us once that something happened dealing with prisoners of war that he didn't feel good about. So I don't know what horror this man saw. Maybe what horror this man participated in. But I know what the face of Christ says to him. So I went in and I sat next to his bed. And I don't remember his name actually anymore. I'll use the name Bob. I sat down and I said, Bob, your family told me that something happened during the war with prisoners of war And I I just want you to know that God will always forgive. 
And this man calmed down. He stopped fidgeting and stopped being agitated. He could not hear with his ears, but in some level of his heart, God was speaking to him, and he heard and responded. And a couple hours later, he went to see, I believe, the glory of God in the face of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? God is always coming to us, speaking the truth in love and reminding us of who he is. Who he is. Just one last bit. Um, later on in this book in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, because Paul is, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying our ministry is to carry this glory to the church. That is the ministry we have to come to you and to tell you this is who God is. Later on, it's chapter 8, verses 20, verse 23. He's talking about another messenger in the church, another servant in the church. And he says, just parenthetically, he talks about this guy is a, a person who is a messenger to the church, and this is how he describes the church. This is how he describes you. He says, the churches are the glory of God. Which brings us, again, full circle. That is why you plant churches, Church of the Cross. That is why you do what you do. That is why you lead music. That is why you serve communion. That is why you go into prayer corners and pray for people. That is why you get up, walk forward, and commune on the body and blood of Christ. That is why you come, you give, you serve, you love. You seek forgiveness from each other when you sin against each other. You do all these things because in doing these things and living and being a church, you are the face of Christ, which is the glory of God, which tells the whole world in Covington, in St. Paul, in South Minneapolis, and now in Plymouth? Crystal, and now in Crystal, sorry. And now in Crystal, you are telling the world this is who God is. And he comes to you. So, uh, Church of the Cross, I, um, I, I stand here almost 15 years to the day after the first time I stood here. And I want to tell you thank you. Thank you on behalf of Miriam and me. Thank you on behalf of all the churches that have been planted. Thank you for being the glory of God in the face of Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.